Hi guys, uh, hello and welcome to episode number two of Shelf Impact. In this episode, I interview Lisa Hastings, who is a fellow brand and packaging designer who has traveled extensively across her career, honing her craft uh, as a designer. She is originally from Nottingham, uh, UK, and now she resides in Sydney, Australia. Uh, This episode was recorded in September 2016 when Lisa was imminently embarking on a uh, contract role over in Shanghai, China. The areas that we sort of focus on within this episode are a quick background into uh, uh, Lisa's design career. Then we look at the key challenges and differences in the design industry between Australia and the UK. And we also discuss the trends that are happening in Australia that the UK could learn from. Uh, and what could be applied to the Australian packaging that isn't already happening. So without further ado, let the interview begin. So Lise, um, can you just then now give me a, a brief introduction to who Lisa Hastings is um, and to give me a bit of a background to where you've been in the packaging design industry um, and where you are now? It's a little bit of an eek moment, like most designers. Um, graduated, um, university degree, graphic design, communication, history of art. Always been a bit of a scribbler. Um, so like most people, went off into the industry, did a few placements at the Partners, Eager Beaver, Ready to Change the World. Mm-hmm. Um, was in London for three or four years working in branding and packaging design, mm-hmm. where one creative director told me that, mm, you're a really good designer, but I'm not sure that packaging is your forte. Um, I made that my next mission and worked for four years in a packaging and brand design agency based in London, working on brands like Sainsbury's, Auntie's Puddings, Brilliant. Muller, yeah. um, some of the biggies. Um, that sort of led me eventually overseas, and I've been in Australia for five years. I'm going from senior to lead creative, creative director, wow. heading up teams and trying to build other people into the industry too. Um, and soon to be in Shanghai, Testing out market over there. So a bit all over the place, but not all that different to most designers, I suppose. And the next question I've got for you is, based on your own experiences, what are the key challenges that you faced working in the packaging design industry when working in Australia, uh, comparing it to the UK? I think originally when I moved over there, um, everyone was sort of convinced, oh, well, Australia, it speaks English, so it must be exactly the same as the UK. And at the time, it was really different, trying to find a market that you're working in. um, Even And brands have tried this by echoing what they do in Europe, and it's it's very different. It's a more isolated country, and the people that you're selling to have a different lifestyle and way of being. Summer is winter, winter is summer. Um, and flip side, and just learning how that market works. It's also really hard to find other good designers. Yeah. Um, it's less so now because I think the teaching is getting better over there. But it's very hard to find people who are about thinking. A lot of people are taught to Photoshop things beautifully. Um, so you're very skilled technical designers. Mm. But the thinking behind brand building was less evident when I originally moved yeah. there compared to now. Like now, people are aware of what branding is a lot more, I think. Are you finding there's still a lot of Australian, sorry, UK designers? moving out to Australia and almost sort of bringing their own experiences from the UK over to Australia. I'm finding a lot of Australian brands are using UK agencies rather than having people go over there to work. They're just having the work done overseas, which is for and against. Um, You know, it's good in that you can have European influence, but they haven't lived and breathed and worked in that market. designers on the ground. Yeah, and you'll get much better if you're working with a studio based in the country that you're in that has links to around the world. That's the global network. It's a big deal. I think you need to be immersed in the culture. I could have not designed for Australia from England. Yeah. I could have done. 
but I don't think that would have been... Uh, possibly, I think, one of the issues there is the expense of having a studio space and employing designers in the likes of Sydney and to certain Melbourne. Yeah. It's so expensive and it can uh, obviously take and off... it is a, hard to find good people. Yeah, so yeah, yeah again, that's the other challenge. And making that visa application process a lot easier yes. <laughs> for <laughs> yeah, those wanting yeah. to move over to the likes of Sydney. So, Lise, my next question is, so, uh, and based on your opinion, what are the main differences between the two markets? In other words, the differences, key differences between Australia and the UK. And by that, I'm talking about sort of brand language, pack call-outs, approaches to pack packaging ethics, uh, maybe even photography. Yeah, photography is definitely a big one. And I actually think that five years ago when I first moved there, um, I always saw England and Europe as the place to come for inspiration. And mm -hmm. I always look back to my London days and use that. Whereas now I actually think, especially now when I do come back every year, seeing how it's changed and transitioned is the UK can actually learn a lot from Australia. But in terms of actually approaching design, the one big thing that struck me from the minute I landed there is that the photography that you use on packaging design doesn't have to what well, has to represent the product, yeah. but doesn't have to be the actual product. Mm. You can find a stock library image, mm. pop it on your packaging, put the word serving suggestion yeah. underneath, and that's allowed. And that's I think cool, there needs to be some sort of governing laws of that. And that's still happening now. Yeah, it does. And photography is really expensive, I understand that. Yeah. I think slowly even brands which previously would use stock photography like Aldi yeah. are realising the importance of a consumer needs to see what they're getting inside or for mm. it to represent it. Um, consumers aren't stupid. And I think originally, maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, Australia assumed they were, that yeah. people would believe anything and it was the culture that, well, what you see is what you get and we're cool with that. And I think people are a lot more savvy and slowly brand managers are realising consumers are a lot more savvy. I, I agree. Social media, transient communities where people are moving from city to city, country to country, and people are becoming more aware of what's happening elsewhere in the world. Yeah. And brands are now, I guess, trying to apply the same brand strategies yeah. across different countries, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Yeah. So, We've also uh, got more people who aren't from Australia living there who are aware and have been exposed to yeah. other parts of the world and other brands yeah, that are absolutely. now going over there going, well, this isn't like I get yeah. in England or Europe or America or wherever. So you're kind of getting that cross. Perhaps it's a little bit different when you step outside of the big cities yeah. in Australia. It is. There's still those kind of clauses. No different to anywhere else in the world, I suppose. And just out of interest, are you noticing, because obviously the, the key design cities, if you like, you've got Sydney and Melbourne. Are you noticing a difference between the styles between the two cities? Now, this is, this, I know it's probably a bit of a blase question. Melbourne, well, Melbourne at the moment is just flooded with designers. Designers yeah. are moving to Sydney to try and find work. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't necessarily think... It's just more competitive. And whenever it's more competitive, you're probably going to find the better people. Yeah, true. Um, I don't it's... necessarily think there's different styles. I think there's different styles or there's a different approach to design if you go to cities like Adelaide and things like yeah. that. And there are some brilliant design agencies, even in New Zealand, mm, uh, that are doing some beautiful work. But doing beautiful work and then being surrounded by other agencies doing beautiful work will always push you back. Yeah, further. no, agreed. Agreed. Cool. Well, thanks, Liz. My next question is about trends, and more specifically, are there any trends that you're seeing happening in Australia that you've not experienced elsewhere, and or you'd like to see applied here in the UK? Um, 
In other words, what can we learn from Australia? And I definitely think there's a lot more to learn than there probably was a few years ago in that a lot of, obviously, packaging and brand design is focused around food or beauty or personal care. And I think that Australia as a nation embraces the food lifestyle culture. There's a lot Mm. more health trends and awareness to how people, maybe it's because it's an outdoor lifestyle, the way people look, the way people... Um, take in food there's less preconceived ideas I've actually found it really difficult as someone who's gluten free and all this kind of stuff and even paleo to source that kind of information even in the UK whereas in Australia it's quite well known it's talked about you do have MasterChef here in England and you do have it in Australia but somehow in Australia it's one of the shows that actually is leaps and leaps and bounds ahead Mm. of the UK because people are trying out what they've seen people want to they've got that work life balance as well I guess they've got time to enjoy enjoying food being yeah. part of the experience of creating and looking after themselves mm-hmm. um, not just a convenient shopper which you'll find in the UK and I think yeah. the UK can learn from that there's just been a huge law passed in Australia about labeling on food and making people aware of origins and which I yeah. know you have here but it's something that over the next two years every label in Australia is going to have to adhere to it and I was reading the other day about a lot of agencies are also looking beyond that to go, yes, we can give consumers the information they need, mm-hmm. but how can we do more? Like, how yeah. can we give them, you know, can you inform them in a label, not just that it's got this percentage of fat and this percentage of, or it's made in Australia, or this was sourced in this country, mm. but can you give them a bit more? Can you tell someone how it's going to help an allergy? Or I'm not quite oh, okay. sure how we're going to solve that yet. But for me, that's an interesting challenge to go, this is a new law. How can we take that law and even make it even more informative? Yeah. So consumers know this brand, when I look at this label, yes, it tells me what I need to know, and it tells me more than that. Uh, I mean, by that, are we talking about if it, it, it would fit into a certain diet requirement, dietary requirements? So, for example, this particular product yeah. is perfect for yeah. payers, and yes. this would suit yeah. a... Yeah, and there's been a lot more whole food-type stores opening in Australia, definitely in Sydney, um, moving away from a standard supermarket like your Tesco and your Sainsbury's mm. or Coles and Woolworths in Australia and moving more to a whole organic market. There's a lot more about life stores, Thomas Duck style Absolutely, stores, yeah. where people can pick their own and there's a real, people want to be able to control what's in things. They yeah. don't want pre-mixed things. And I think that has to take on in Australia. I know in England you have, in London you've got Whole Foods, but you step outside of London, it's really hard to find affordable, good mm. food and know where it's from and be part of creating a dish or having it as minimalist as you want to. And that's something Australia does really well. That's brilliant. And what about the actual design of the packages and things that that you'd probably see on the front of packs? So styling, for example, typography. Is there certain fashions or statements that are going on to these front of packs which well a lot of brands that are made in australia are now being sold in um into china and asian markets that's where it becomes important to highlight where it's from if it's from australia Mm. people buy into those markets and people even in australia want to know that it comes from they want homegrown yeah they want it to be so definitely that's a big call out at the minute to say it's australian made there was a big berry scare about Berries that were sourced oh, overseas. I heard about that, yeah. Um, yeah, there was a bit of an article. Have a look yeah. on my LinkedIn. There's an article about the berry scare and stuff and how yeah, that affected Australia and what people thought they knew they didn't know. Yeah. Caused to scare. People don't like to be misled over there. Mm. And once they do, they turn their back on things. Yeah. And they're very much, oh, once I've left, I'm not going back there. In fairness, actually, over the last few years, I've noticed that even in the UK, there's a lot of 
made in GB, a lot of Union Jacks being applied to front of packs. Now, that's not yeah. necessarily just food packaging as well. It's across all the categories. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot about being proud of being British. Yeah. And from my experience of, of living in Sydney, and it's the same sort of thing, everything over there was all about we are Australian, we're proud to be Australian, we want Australia to buy our products. And it worked well. And I, I'm seeing it here an awful lot more than oh, ever before. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> That's having a huge impact. Yeah. Um, and we can really play on that. Like, I think it's a beneficial thing. It's one of the things we can benefit from. Yeah, Rather than being homogenised and, you know, coming across as part of everything together well, in Europe, I think it's... As proud Brits, it's nice to be <laughs> Union Jack plastered over everything possible. So that's great news. So, Liz, the next question I've got for you... Um, is there anything that you wish that could be applied to the Australian packaging design market that isn't happening already? Um, well, I think in terms of as designers, we're always going to innovate. We're always going to try and think beyond yeah, yeah. what is the obvious solution. You know, we'll always produce design concepts and solutions and brand building that takes it a little bit away from what people are expecting. Um, and I do still think there's still a bit of a reluctance, probably more with the bigger brands, yeah. to take that risk. Um, it also provides a great opportunity for brand managers of smaller brands to yep. go, well, we're going to take the risk. Yeah, absolutely. And be that one to stand out. I'd like to see more people taking a risk to kind of put their brand on, on the shelf and on the market and in a consumer's mind. That's, I think, where it has to go next because there's even been, like, even down to structural forms of packaging yeah, as well, Glad bags change all of the way they seal their cellophane mm. wrappers mm -hmm. and a huge outcry gets on consumer news, people going, I don't like it, it's not like I'm used to it being. Yeah. But there's still going to be, and I saw it myself with the Sara Lee brand, that when we tested a design that removed the trademark red ribbon of Sara Lee dessert brands, people hated it. They were mm -hmm. like, oh, it's not Sara Lee, I think it's fake. But we did release a limited edition section to a completely different target market. Someone who doesn't buy in the freezer, someone who buys in the chilled space, we removed all the red branding, and they bought into it thinking, wow, it's not the Sarah Lee I kind of had the yeah. preconceived ideal that my mum would use. So it targeted that different market. So testing they were, that market. Yeah, they were almost. brave enough. There are ways around it, if you work with the right people, Absolutely. to not have to launch straight on into the kind of dark black hole space. Yeah. You can actually do it a little bit tentatively and potentially bring, up, yeah, that, bring out consumers that you probably wouldn't necessarily from that and now releasing fresh muffins and things yeah, yeah, that, to a market that would never have normally bought into mm. the brand. So there's ways around it if you work with the right people and you know you take that risk in certain areas. Yep. It's just about balance, I suppose. Mm. But there's definitely more people who are willing to do it. We just need more. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Lise, thanks for those. That's brilliant. Um, and so just to round up, uh, my next question for you is, where to next for Lisa Hastings? Where's she moving on to? Well, there's going to be a bit of a journey coming um, next. I've been for the past year or maybe even two years working with a lot of brands who are also looking to market their products in the Asian market, mm -hmm. so China, Japan, um, and we have studios that obviously work over there. Yeah. And although I've been designing for that market, I haven't actually lived and breathed that market. So mm. I had the opportunity to go and work with a really high profile design agency in Shanghai um, to learn some of the ways and just immerse myself in the culture, whether I end up staying on there yeah. to work within that market or come back and, and you know delve into that market from a, a further space yeah. remains to be seen. Um, obviously, I'm terrified about being able to mm, write, yeah, speak Chinese, but um, I've had a dabble into it, so it'll be really yeah. interesting to sort of see it firsthand because it's one of the markets that is growing. They are actually really into new innovation, yeah, more so than probably absolutely. Australia and England even are. And so to be part of that, yeah. um, and it's definitely something that 
we can sell the benefits of Australia and England into. And the, the works you're going to be doing out uh, in China, will that be for Some the Chinese of, market? Or? It will be for the Chinese market. Um, it will be in brands that already exist, so brands yep. that will already recognise Unilever brands. Yep. Um, you know, just things that you already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kellogg's. Quiltons, sure. you know, everything that you know, as well as some new and innovative brands that are trying to break into that market that might, you know, I'm just at the moment creating a meat brand that's going to be sold into sure. the China market. It has no name, but, it, but the fact that it's made and produced in Australia is a big seller. And for someone who, like myself uh, and you, uh, travelled a lot and worked whilst doing that sort of travelling, I have never worked in a non-English speaking country. Neither have I. And I'm intrigued to know how that works and say so if you produce a design, a lovely sort of looking uh, graphic that's going to go onto the front of the pack, what happens next? So you, you create this concept, does it get through onto a, someone who's going to change that pack language well, to... From what I've seen and what I've worked Chinese? on, initially the brand that you're creating, so if you're creating a brand from scratch it has no name or anything, mm-hmm. can exist in a Western language. Yeah. Um, you don't want to change something into Chinese, you know, if it's going to sell to... Because there's a lot of experts and there's a lot of people from around... But they, I'm assuming it has to be dual language then, that you would yeah. have... Yeah, definitely, especially when it comes to personal care and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have a team of... So we'll produce design concepts and everything in a Western language. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that you do have to be a bit careful about is like typography. There are very yeah. few fonts that exist in Chinese uh, language as well. Yeah, but then we'll have a team of um, actual language Chinese creatives that will translate all of that mm-hmm. into the Chinese language. So okay. I guess it becomes very much more of a visual language than a um, typographic Oh. So that will be an interesting thing to see at first hand. Like that have been great things that have then been sent overseas and then translated by a team yeah. of people into Chinese. But it will be interesting to see it first hand and think about visually how it looks. I, I personally think it's extremely exciting. And uh, I think what I'd like to do, Lisa, is have another catch-up with you in a sort of uh, a few months' time, maybe have a Skype call and we'll record this for this podcast and uh, see how you're getting on and find out what... Uh, what your new learnings yeah, are definitely. and whether you're thinking, Mark, I'm coming <laughs> we, back to London can, or I'm going to go to Sydney. We can do yeah, I want to translate that, unfortunately, <laughs> somehow. Okay, and uh, very quickly, Liz, where can people find you if they want to find out more you about can you? Find me on Twitter at Shoebox20 or the Creative Shoebox on WeChat or LinkedIn. I'm just Lisa Hastings. Whoa, okay, cool. <laughs> well, listen, I'll put those into the show notes, but there we go. Lisa, thank you very much. I really Thanks, appreciate Mark. your time and uh, all the best for Shanghai. Thank you very thank much. You.